Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily, your chance to catch up on some of the most popular episodes of 2022. Listeners should be aware this podcast contains strong language. Today on the Indo Daily, part two of Paul Kimmage and the Lance Armstrong story. I think it was about two o'clock in the morning. I was sitting at home on my own. <laughs> And wasn't going to wait up for it. When we first met a week ago today, we agreed that there would be no holes barred and there would be no conditions on this interview and that this would be an open field. I think that's best for both of us. I I agree. I was unemployed. I think I'd had one commission in all of that time. I was being sued by the world governing body for suggesting that they'd been complicit in the Armstrong cover-up. I sat up wanting to see uh, what he'd say. Let's start with the questions that people around the world have been waiting for you to answer. And for now, I just like a yes or no. Okay. Okay. I'm not sure what he expected. I expected nothing. But oh my God, yes or no? Did you you ever ever take take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. And I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm going, oh, for fuck's sake. Yes or no was one of those banned substances, EPO. Yes. And I just thought, oh my God, he's actually going to, he's admitting to all this. Yes or no, in all seven of your Tour de France victories, did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. I mean, I never believed the guy. I never believed it, any of it. But to hear him say it was, took it to a different level again. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo-Daily... The aftermath of Lance Armstrong's explosive confessions. Paul Kimmage, the Tour de California in 2009 is famous for many reasons. The return of Lance Armstrong being one, that infamous press conference. You are not worth the chair that you're sitting on. Where you and him rowed over which of you was a cancer on the sport. But it was also notable for the return of a cyclist who would go on to play a big role in the downfall of Lance Armstrong. Because Landis has made an incredible descent here. 5.07 it was. Yeah, so uh, Floyd Landis won the tour in 2006, the first tour after Lance, if you want. 
counting, he has taken the best part of a minute of Sastra. He'd been a teammate of Lance's. He'd been mentored by Lance at US Postal. And, uh, but was busted in after he won the tour in 2006 and his his ban expired uh, on January 30th, 2009. And his first race back was the Tour of California two weeks later, uh, which was, all, which was again, uh, Lance's comeback race in the US. Wasn't all good news. Lance Armstrong had a flat tyre on the climb. No panic here from the seven times. So they're both uh, at the Tour of California in 2009. And Floyd is riding for a very small American team. And this is a source of considerable irritation to him because during the time he'd been out of the sport, he'd played, if you want, by the rules. And the rules being, you keep your mouth shut, you respect the omerta, you don't tell any secrets. Because he knew it all. He had seen firsthand the doping at Postal he had doped himself. He'd seen Lance do it. So he's, he played by the unspoken rules and opposed to the official Absolutely. rules. Absolutely. The unspoken rule of the Amerta. Keep your mouth shut and we look after you. So he's done all that. He's played by their rules and come back to the sport thinking, well, they're going to look after me now. I've, I've, I've held up my side of the bargain here. Except that's not Lance. That's not his nature. You see, this guy is an asshole, Okay. He doesn't like Floyd because Floyd is, again, one of the few people in the sport who ever stood up to him and wouldn't take his bullshit. So he doesn't really like Floyd and decides when Floyd comes back, well, let, 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 let Floyd swing. So Floyd is riding through California in a small little American team. And what he's seeing really is, is, is extraordinary because that tour of California, there's a new campaign launch. Nike launched this new Lance campaign and it's Hope Rides Again. You know, the great cancer, uh, Jesus, returning to the sport, spreading the news that if you uh, follow Lance, you can beat cancer and all that stuff. I called up Johan Brunel and I said, I said, I, I want to race again. And he said, first he said, call me tomorrow when you're not dropping. And this massive campaign of hope rides again, reaching out to cancer survivors. Believe in me, here he is. God returns. And you can just imagine how Floyd Landis is, is feeling looking at this because he knows the truth about this guy. I mean, hope my fucking ass. And he is not, not taking it. So he spends a year, he spends a year really uh, struggling with this small team and decides after a year, fuck that. He sends an email to Steve Johnson, who's the CEO of the US Cycling Federation, uh, telling him exactly what he's experienced as a pro cyclist at US Postal with Lance Armstrong. A month later, he sits down with Travis Tigert, the head of the United States Anti-Doping Agency. And on May 19th, a couple of months after he's uh, met with, uh, with, with Tigert, uh, his emails appear in the Wall Street Journal. Disgraced American cyclist Floyd Landis has admitted to systematic use of performance-enhancing drugs and accused seven-time Tour de France champion Lance Armstrong of involvement in doping. That's all according to a report in Thursday's Wall Street Journal. Armstrong, who's competing in the fifth stage of the Tour of California, denied the allegations Thursday, saying, it's our word against his word. I like our word. So now it's out there, and now Lance has a problem. So uh, there's an investigation announced. Uh, 
uh, Armstrong starts the tour in Rotterdam, his second, the second tour of his comeback. Uh, things are getting hot and heavy for him now because every time he he turns up, basically, he's getting asked about the Landis allegations. So Landis blows the lid. Yeah, effectively, um, the US anti-doping agency have to act now because it's out in the public domain. 2012, we'll fast forward. Yeah. They bring out their report and it's utterly devastating for Lance Armstrong and cycling. All of the testimonies of all of the riders are all there and people can read in black and white exactly what's going on. And that's game over. It's game over. And it's yeah. it's 2013 then, the famous Oprah interview. Well, before, before when I say it's game over, you have Pat McQuaid... Pat McQuaid is the president of the, the UCI. The UCI, yeah, the governing body. You have Pat McQuaid a week after uh, the USAD report press conference in, in Switzerland. Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling. UCI will ban Lance Armstrong from cycling and UCI will strip him of his seven Tour de France titles. Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling. He's dropped by Nike. He's dropped by uh, all of his sponsors. Uh, he steps back from Livestrong, his, the cancer charity. It's absolutely ground zero for Lance. And so he decides to do what a lot of American celebrities decide to do and talk to Oprah, which is a strange setting in, a, in of itself. You think of Harry and Meghan talking to Oprah. You don't necessarily think of of somebody facing the crisis that he was in, in terms of his career and more so probably at this stage in terms of his legacy. But she started out asking him a series of yes, no questions. Yes or no. In all seven of your Tour de France victories, did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. In your opinion, was it humanly possible to win the Tour de France without doping seven times in a row? Not in my opinion. Where did you watch that Paul image? So it went out kind of late. Uh, I think it was about two o'clock in the morning. I was sitting at home on my own (laughs) and wasn't going to wait up for it. Uh, So I was sitting at home. uh, I was unemployed. I think I'd had one commission in all of that time. I was being sued by the world governing body for suggesting uh, that they'd been complicit in the Armstrong cover-up and uh, I sat up wanting to see uh, what Lance because there'd been a lot of publicity about it and what he'd say and I remember sitting in a room on my own and I actually wasn't expecting you know when I when I heard that uh, he was sitting down with Oprah who was a pal of his I mean they'd had lunch uh, a few weeks before he'd suggested to her about doing the interview I'm not sure what he expected. I expected nothing except Asher Lance, they were all doing it. So what else could you do? Aren't you doing great work for cancer? Aren't you, isn't you, aren't you great? I think, and I don't know whether he was expecting that. But oh my God, yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your performance? Yes. And I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm going, oh, for fuck's sake. And that's what the, the impact of that, of that opening sequence there that you've just played was as powerful on me as it must have been for anybody. I mean, I never believed the guy. I never believed it, any of it. But to hear him say it was, took it to a different level again. And I just thought, oh my 
God, he's actually going to, he's actually admitting to all this. So I can't imagine what the impact was on, because there still were a considerable amount of people. You know, people are blind to, they listen to what they want to listen and believe what they want to hear. People still, despite everything, would have still believed in him, in him up until the moment he sits down with opera and says it in his own, out of his own, comes out of his own mouth. Of course, he did try to do a lot of explaining in that interview. And there was a lot of explaining to do, even thinking back to when Emma O'Reilly became a whistleblower. She asked him about the comments he had made about her. What do you want to say about Emma O'Reilly? She's one of these people that I have to apologize to. Mm-hmm. You sued her. To be honest, Oprah, we sued so many people, I don't even, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we did. So the whole story, Paul, had unraveled. Yeah, <laughs> it was interesting. On the day after, on the day after his uh, confession, inverted commas, to, to Oprah, uh, Lance played golf with a friend of his, a guy called John Coroya. And uh, they were playing golf and uh, Coroya said to him, I got to tell you, Lance, watching that interview, you were, you were a really good lawyer. Right? Lance is kind of confused. What? She says, yeah, you're a really good lawyer, but you're horrible at telling the truth. And that was the thing. That was the thing about him. You know, as good a lawyer as he was, he really couldn't deal with the truth. And in that stuff with, uh, with Oprah, you could tell really that uh, uh, he didn't regret anything, that the only thing he actually ever regretted was being caught. It wasn't sincere at all. Did you admire him for coming clean, for want of a better word, and and owning it or starting to own it? Or was this just part of the saving face exercise? Because to be honest, it was all out. The damage was done anyway. I couldn't admire Lance for anything. I couldn't admire him for anything. Um... He said in 2015 with the BBC that he'd do it. He'd do it all again. When it comes to the doping... Would you do it again? You know, if I was racing in 2015, no, I wouldn't do it again. Because I don't think you have to do it again. If you take me back to 1995, when it was completely and totally pervasive, I'd probably do it again. People won't like to hear that. People won't like to hear that, Paul. Well, uh, you know, uh, that's one of the few... Um, comments he's made that I actually understand I'll bring you back to that hotel room with me back in 1987 and you're surrounded by this culture of it you know very easy to take the whole high moral ground when you don't understand that when you haven't actually seen how the sport works so I totally understand and understood why he made the decisions he did to do what he did I absolutely always have always understood that and when he's asked, would he do it again? Well, uh, he is at this moment, I imagine, uh, sitting on a beach somewhere with a pina colada. Uh, and he'll be doing that for the rest of his life. So why wouldn't he do it again? He's enriched himself and it hasn't hurt him. It, he's lost uh, He's lost his name uh, for sure. What have they ever got? What was his name ever worth? This is a guy who grew up raised by a single mother on the wrong side of the tracks, uh, no education, no prospects. What would he have been without any of this? I thought, would he still, would he even be alive? 
So when he when he says he would do it again, I think that's the, a very extreme. I mean, lots of people well, who grew not, up on the wrong well, side of the tracks, it's, Paul, it's, achieve it, it great may, things. It may, it may it may sound extreme. It may sound extreme. Uh, that's my that's what that's my belief. That's my belief. Uh, and that and that that's what formed, if you want, all of the decisions he made. Because Lance was doping from the moment he came into this sport. Has he been in any way rehabilitated by coming out with his story? That Oprah interview and I suppose the, the few times he's spoken about it, you know, we're we're ten years later now. Well, like like uh, like Donald Trump, I listen to him now because he's he's uh he's set up a podcast and he follows the racing now where he sits down with some of the guys he was doping with and they give their opinions on the state of the game and um, and uh, I just I have to laugh at it you know because uh, number one that actually people tune in to listen to what he has to say as if he would actually you know they could believe any of it or would want even to listen to it but they do and uh, and I'm sure he's he's uh, He's thrilled by that, you know. On the day after the of the USADA uh, reason decision was was announced, he puts up a photo on Twitter. Uh, uh, he's lying at home in Austin, and he's got his seven framed yellow jerseys lined up on the wall, and he's lying there with his hands behind his back, and basically, how am I going? Yeah, look at the view. Basically, in other words, fuck you. I don't care, and he's never cared. You said you've no admiration for him at all. Do you have any sympathy for him? Because going back to where we started this conversation about how easily and how easy it is to slip into that world and be part of that gang. No, I don't have any sympathy for him because um, for the following reason, Lance, and I've said this many times, it was never about Lance Armstrong for me through all of this because I did not stop pursuing doping and cycling when Lance was done. And that's the that's the, uh, that's the the narrative today. Oh, well, Lance, that was 10 years ago. Isn't the sport great since? Well, that's bullshit. Nobody believes that for, for a second. So I didn't stop. I didn't start before Lance came into the sport and I didn't stop when he was done. That fight for me continues. Uh, Lance was not the first cyclist to dope. He certainly won't be the last, okay? What made him different is he had a status in the sport unlike anyone who's ever gone before. He wasn't just a Tour de France winner. He wasn't just a great champion. Uh, he was an icon. And he used that status and his power in the sport. No one in the history of cycling has ever had more power in the sport than Lance Armstrong. And he used that power to destroy people. He, I would be six feet under now and it would not cost him a thought with David Walsh, with Emma O'Reilly, uh, with Betsy Andreu, with, La- with, with, with Floyd, with Frank, all of us, people who stood up against him. We would be six foot under. He could have got away with this and it would not have cost him a thought. That's what makes him different. That's why I can't respect him. You know, as I say, I understand the culture that made him. I understand the culture that made all of the guys who dope before and, and have doped since. I can understand that. I won't say I forgive it. I understand it. But that's what made Lance different. Given all that has happened, would you like to meet him now? 
one-on-one, maybe even do an interview? I sent him an email, actually. Uh, I sent him an email, uh, I'd say about three or four weeks ago. And uh, I sent him an email because, uh, as I mentioned his podcast, so one of the guests, <laughs> you couldn't make this up, one of the guests on this podcast was Bradley Wiggins. And of course, Bradley Wiggins is, was a member of the great Sky team who announced uh, loudly and proudly that they were going to do everything different and everything clean. And they came along and uh, Bradley had plenty to say about Lance and what a bastard he was. His words, what a bastard he was. What a, what a bastard he was. What a lying bastard he was. Plenty to say about Lance in the aftermath of, uh, of USADA and of, of Lance being exposed. So here we are, whatever, 10 years later, and uh, I hear that uh, Lance has invited Bradley Wiggins onto his, uh, onto his podcast. And I'm thinking, Jesus, this will be worth listening to. Lance is going to shred this guy. I mean, like, you know what? You heard what he said about me. You are not worth the chair you're sitting on. Here's a guy, uh, Bradley Wiggins, who has called him every name under the sun after he gets done, and he's bringing him on the show. Well, this is going to be fun because we know what's happened to Bradley since... Uh, since his tour win and some of the uncomfortable truths about how he achieved that. Now we're going to see Lance unloading here on, on Bradley. And it's like this incredible love-in. Like they can't get enough of each other. Both, both sides. Oh, weren't you grey? No, grey, you know. I think, how the fuck does that work? It allows him to present himself as exactly the same as everybody else. This is how they all are. Look at, look at, you think I'm bad? Listen to this guy. This is what he said to me. How is he sitting here beside? If I'm so bad, what's Bradley doing sitting beside me on this chair now, being my great friend? If I was all that bad, really, would he be sitting here? So, what uh, does your email say? Uh, I think my email says something like, uh, "I've been listening to, I've been watching you with interest uh, for some time now, uh, and I think it'll make a great interview." And that's what it said. And. Um, to no great surprise, I did not get a, a reply, a response. So, uh, he might be busy. <laughs> I think he is busy, yeah. I think he is busy. Well, if he was listening, if I mean, you know that he's listened to and read some of your stuff before. We know that from the press conference. So if yeah. he happened to listen to this podcast, what would you say to him? Uh, what would I say to him? Well, I'd actually... I'd be more interested in, in listening to him. I'd be very interested in hearing his... Would ex- you listen to him though, Paul? Oh, no, You're no. so passionate about this and you have such strong feelings that you've expressed o- over the last two episodes here. <laughs> like, would you listen to him? So, you've made two... Uh, you've made... Two, you've, that's the second thing you've said now that seriously pissed me off, Kevin. Good, I'm doing a good the, job. So The first one was uh, that I was a doper. And the second one was that I don't listen. If you know anything about me or my journalism, I am first and foremost a listener. That's what I do. You talk to my wife, we're out to dinner. Paul sits there and he says nothing. I spend the night talking. That's what I do. I like people. I listen to people. And I would be absolutely uh, fascinated uh, to sit down opposite lads and to listen to them. We mentioned Floyd Landis. In uh, in 2011, I travelled to California 
and I sat in a cabin, a mountain cabin with Floyd Landis, for seven hours, okay? Uh, it was the greatest interview I've ever done. It was just, if you want to know the truth about cycling, uh, you need to get that interview. Uh, but I listened to Floyd, and what I learned, what I learned from Floyd was a, a really valuable lesson. It reminded me again, it reminded me again that the real problem here wasn't Floyd, it wasn't Lance, it was a governing body that tries to be a regulator and a promoter at the same time. That doesn't work. When you have a governing body policing the sport and promoting the sport, that's a conflict of interest that will never work. And that's how it all happens. That's how Lance happened. Uh, they had a chance to, uh, to sort it out very early on and they did not take that chance. I'll finish by asking you that question that Lance Armstrong was asked by the BBC in 2015. Knowing what you do now, knowing the impact it's had on you personally, on your career, on your family life, if you could go back all the way back to 1985, 1986, even before you started your pro career, would you do it all again? Well, I've paused here and I don't know why I'm pausing because <laughs> of course I would. Listen, I walk out the door here and uh, I'm going to see people, people every day. Ah, you're Paul Kimmich. You're the guy who wrote about Lance. You're the guy who wrote about cycling. Listen, that's all. They can put that on my uh, my headstone. That'll be enough for me. That's, you know, I'm a journalist. You told the truth. That's enough. My thanks to Paul Kimmage. I'm Kevin Doyle. And today's episode of the Indo Daily was researched by Garrett Mulhall and produced by Mary Carroll. Recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips were from Channel 4, BBC, CNN, Classic Cycling, Cycling Memories, AP, The Late Late Show on RTE, CBS, Own Network, The Wall Street Journal and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And to hear more of our award-winning journalism, visit Independent.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. 